This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. You know, when I um, was playing football and... Um, every summer we had something called two-a-days. And I don't know if you know what two-a-days are, but uh, two-a-days is basically represents training camp. <laughs> and during two uh, training camps, it was very difficult. It was very hot, um, painful, tiring. And during that time, a lot of people uh, were pushed to their limit. Um, what I tried to do as an athlete is prepare myself for training camp. I had no intention on not going through training camp. I really didn't think about the pain or being tired. I never thought about getting hurt. The only thing I thought about about training camp was getting better. And that was my main focus. That I knew that during training camp you would practice to prepare yourself for the performance of the game. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we, we misconstrue what it is we're being made disciples for. Discipleship, by and large, is just called discipline in a sense. When we discipline ourselves, we can respond in a way that's accurate, skillful, despite the situation, the scenario, the obstacles. And Jesus, he took his disciples with him for three years and showed them how to respond during difficult situations. Now, if they had in their mind that, you know what, if it gets too tough, too difficult, I'll pull away, then they would never be able to fulfill what God had purposed and planned for their lives. Jesus made it clear to them, storms will come. And when they do, hopefully you've prepared yourself to respond in a way that honors God. During training camp, we had to run, and while I was in college, we had to run two miles before camp. And then we had to run the two miles under 12 minutes. So we had to run two miles under 12 minutes, according to your position. And then, after we ran two miles, we had to practice after that in the Florida sun. Now... There was no way I was going to give up, quit, or stop, but it was hard. Every practice was difficult. Did I ever think about giving up? No. My goal was to push forward, get better, improve. And that, I believe, is similar to our walk with Christ. Hopefully, we're spending time with Jesus. We're hearing his voice. We're getting to understand how he's trying to guide us and lead us and direct us because he has very something, he has something very specific for us. And what that is, is glorifying him. But oftentimes people will uh, compromise when it comes to obeying Christ, dependent upon your values and culture. Or if you're so influenced by the world, sometimes you will justify not obeying Christ. It even has crept into theology, meaning in seminaries or the church. We've, we've catered down the message of the cross for an accommodating gospel so that we believe it will fill up seats in the church. But if we listen to this message today, there is none of that here. Jesus Christ is completely clear with what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, stay faithful until the end. And when you do that, you give him glory. Your faithfulness is paramount in this walk with Jesus Christ. 
Consider being faithful to God today. I have a quote that I really like. Oftentimes I try to look up quotes that I think are apropos for the particular message, but this quote I thought was inspiring. The quote basically says this, God takes a safe course with his children. Now, if we stop right there and read this, what we want to think is, you know what? God has created a safe environment for those people who have put their trust in him. But let's keep reading. It says that they might not be condemned with the world. So the point is, God has put us on a path that will assure us that we won't face the same fate as the rest of humanity. That's the safe path God has put us on. It's kind of like um, you're, you're walking on the side of a mountain. You tell everybody, get against the mountain so you don't fall off the cliff. Just walk completely against the mountain so you don't... Now, you're walking against the mountain and the rocks are falling on you and the bugs are getting on you, but at least you know you're not going to tumble down the ravine into the valley. He permits the world to condemn them that they may not love the world. The world hates them. He's communicating a mechanism that God has put in our walk. That when we're faithful to God, the world will hate us. Why did he do that? So that we will not fall in love with the world. If we fall in love with the world, we are not God's friend. It's the challenge of our life. Jesus said, be in the world, but not what? Of the world. Jesus has called us to himself to represent him, but the world is opposed to Jesus. Jesus said the world is opposed to me because I tell it its ways are wrong. And when people look at you, they hopefully see Jesus Christ. The problem is, throughout the church, we've been struggling with how much influence the church should have over the world. It's been a debate from the very beginning of the church. What is our responsibility to the world? Should we be salt and light to the world? Our response has to be, our main focus is to look like Jesus. So that when the world sees us, they see Christ. Now how they respond to you, that is up to them. Some of us, we know, were led to Christ because some people witnessed to us. Some people were saved based upon watching TV. Some people reading a book. Some people maybe went on a mission trip and confessed their heart and life to Christ. I don't know your particular story, but sometimes when you go out to witness to people, you go out to people who will not be saved, who will not come to Christ. I think so, so, so often people think, man, I want to have this 100% success rate in winning people to Jesus. What I'm trying to say is, I think some people say, I don't want to take a risk. Because if I risk telling somebody about Jesus who doesn't want to hear, they might turn on me. They might yell at me. They might joke me, laugh at me. Heaven forbid, they might persecute me. So what has happened is we've hedged as a church. We said, you know what? We devise mechanisms and strategies so that our success rate can be high. When we go out and share our faith, when we witness, we want to make sure what we're doing has the best return possible. 
And that's not necessarily the way God has designed this. If you can't open your Bible to John chapter 15, verses 9 through, I think, 21. During this time here, remember, the disciples have not been persecuted. The disciples are hearing the words of Jesus Christ. And you have to remember during this day and time that the disciples still have this thought that when the Messiah comes, that he will help Israel take back the kingdom. He, Jesus, kept trying to, throughout all his parables, to undermine that concept. Jesus did not come the first time to rule, but to serve. And the disciples had a hard time understanding, well, if you're the Messiah, why aren't you going to rule? And when you rule, man, I want to rule with you. And Jesus kept consistently telling them, that's not happening this time. And they struggled with that. Here, Jesus is talking to his disciples that comes right after the story about the vine and the branches. Here, Jesus is making it clear how the world will respond to those people who are attached to him. John chapter 15, starting verse 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now, upon reading that superficially, it makes sense. That if you're with the world, the world will love you because you're part of the world. But this world here is, this word love is phileo. If conditional cause and effect, you were of the world, it would phileo you. Now, there's this word here that, in a sense, underlies this entire text. Utility. Usefulness. That if you're useful in the world, it will love you because you benefit the world. It's system, it's philosophy, it's people, it's manner of life. If you are part of the world and the world loves you, then the world can use you because the world's love is not agape. I try to tell my son Joshua, I try to tell him, he said, Daddy, because he's very much into... I don't know, anti-heroes and anti-villains. And I'm just trying to say, nobody is good and bad. But he's grown up in a time where we say, you know what? There are no real bad guys and there are no real good guys. And I have to constantly try to communicate, nobody. There are good guys and there are bad guys. But he's having a hard time processing that based upon all the information he's reading on the internet. And I try to say, look, Jesus is the good guy. And if you act like Jesus, then you'll be good too. And the more you act like Jesus, the gooder, better, I know, superlative, the better you'll be. So he's wrestling because every time he sees a no movie, he sees the bad guy acting good sometimes, or the bad guy being noble. But in the world, the world cannot agape. The world can't love selflessly. In the world, there's always this catch or their strings attached to its love. So when you're talking about how the world loves each other, there's a utility that exists, almost like a business deal. It's almost like a, a transaction. In the world, there has to be this transaction that exists in order for there to be a real relationship. And if there's no transaction, then people say that relationship is not healthy, vital. But in I think my mic has went off like four times. In Christ, 
This does not exist. Because in Christ, all our love is agape. It's selfless. And you love in most times not even wanting to receive. That paradigm does not exist in the world. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The reason why the world hates you is because Christ chose you out of the world. Now, when I was first studying this, I thought, oh, it's jealousy. The world is jealous of us Christians because Jesus chose us and not them. And it seems like the point of this text is what? Predestination. You were preordained or elected by Christ. And because you were chosen and not them, oh, they're jealous. And they have ought against you. And the world now is trying to attack you or harm you because you are special and it is not. But that's not what this word is communicating here. Here, the word hate is an interesting word. The word hate here, it really means not to appreciate. It means to like less than. It's not saying there's not affection or sentiment. The world can have sentiment and affection and emotion. Those things we know exist in Eros and Storge and even Phileo. But selfless love is something that does not exist. So we have to understand the world does not appreciate the church. The church doesn't really add any real value to the system of the world. Now I'm opposed to saying that in a sense we're not going to be salt and light. I believe God raises up people to help influence different areas of whether it be economy or different sectors of the economy or whether it's different avenues that end up making up our economy. I believe the church is called to help educational systems and also influence people in sports. I believe the church is called to be a light. But when it boils down to it, when we get to the nuts and bolts of the scenario, there's not a real connection between the church and the world. The world is quickly fading and failing. The world is quickly falling apart. The world is heading for destruction. And you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a promise of eternal life. But because of what you have, animosity and enmity exists between those people who don't believe in Christ and you. Now, if Jesus had not been through what he went through, I would not have a leg to stand on based upon what I'm saying. But the fact is, everything that I stated is what Jesus went through. Jesus experienced rejection and suffering and ought because the world has enmity toward God. Jesus was abused because the world had for a moment God in its clutches. And the world did to Jesus what it wanted. It paid back to God all that it thought God deserved. It's almost like when someone hurts your feelings. And you're not mature, right? Like me, sometimes I'm immature. And I get my feelings hurt by somebody. And, and as an immature person, what I want to do, I'm going to hurt you back. 
And I'm going to urge you back just the right amount in my mind so that you feel the exact same amount of pain I think you deserve to feel because you hurt me. And if you're unaware of how bad I was hurt, I want to make sure you experience the totality of my pain vicariously through my actions. Is that, I'm just, that's just me. No, I know it's not. <laughs> that's real. We want to retaliate to make people feel what we felt. That's the world. That's not Jesus. Jesus experienced the revenge, the wrath of the world. Verse 20. It says, remember the world, excuse me, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. This is, this is a limiting word here. What it's trying to say is, listen, I'm the master. You may not like that, but that's what he's trying to say. Think of show enough, right? I'm the master. I'm the master, and you're the servant. And if I'm being the master, the master is one who's greater. I'm the master, and I face this. Don't think it was because I had a lack of competence. Don't think it was because I was not anointed. Don't think it was because I didn't use the right strategy. Jesus is like, look, I'm the one who is perfect. And I did everything right. And the world still chose to abuse me. What do you think it's going to do to you? He's trying to say, you can't compromise these truths. He said, if, you're, if, if the world doesn't hate you, are you still following me? There's no compromise here. The message is clear. Jesus Christ in his perfection was abused, persecuted by the world. Period. Now, if you think, well, you know what? I'm going to start a ministry. And my ministry is going to change the world. Now, all I got to do is try to create it in such a way that I don't offend people. That people don't get mad. That people don't get upset based upon what I say. If I don't hurt anybody's feelings, and you know what? I'm doing ministry. And Jesus is like, you're not following me if you do that. Jesus is like, look, I'm the master. I'm going to make this way one more time. I am doing everything correctly. And they persecuted me. If you're the servant, do you think they're not going to persecute you? He says, if, if they persecute me, then they will also persecute you. This word if is a conditional cause and effect. Why? Because at this particular time, Jesus had not been persecuted. Jesus had not yet been to the cross. Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're still struggling. They think he's still the messianic king. They think he's King David. They're still waiting for him to rise up and take over Rome and the rest of the planet. They're like, this is what the prophecies say. You're here now and we're with you. Rise up. And now he's trying to convince them of something different. If they persecute you, then they will also, excuse me, if they persecute me, then they will also persecute you. That's not coffee. The next point, if they keep my word, they will keep yours also. We know Jesus was persecuted. We know he faced the ultimate form of persecution going to the cross. He was beaten. 
He was rejected. He was brutalized. He didn't do anything wrong. And for those people who follow Jesus, he's like, look at what happened to me. Look at my life. If you look at my life, you can look in a mirror and see that should be yours as well. This is a hard truth. But it gets better. It says, if they keep my word, they will keep yours also. Isn't that such an encouraging point right there? Why? Because we know there were people who kept his word. Now, we may be a little disappointed with that. Why? Because they will pastor. There were only 12 of them amongst the 3 million people in Israel. 12 kept his word. Is that reason to rejoice? Yes. Because we know if you stay faithful to Jesus, if you face persecution, then also there will be people who keep the word you preach. Stay faithful to Jesus. There's a reward for your faithfulness. Persecution is a sign that you are Christ. The truth is, you should rejoice if you're being persecuted. That's actually what the scriptures say. When the apostles were persecuted because they were preaching Jesus Christ, they rejoiced because they knew they were going to receive great rewards because they were persecuted. But who wants to be persecuted? Who's, who, who has gone home saying, no, let me be persecuted? Nobody is. We were scared for the storm. Right? You're like, oh no, I don't even know if I'm going out the house for the storm. So who's going to say, ah, let me face persecution for your glory. So if that is the way we should think, what's hindering us from thinking that way? If we should want to be persecuted, what hinders us from thinking that being persecuted from Jesus for Jesus is a good thing? If we, if we know that being persecuted for Christ results in us being given this great reward in heaven, if we know that being persecuted is the evidence of us following Christ, then why is that not something we're praying, Lord, let me be persecuted? Fear. Pain, embarrassment, shame. Let's be honest. That's what's hindering us from every single thing that God is trying to give to us. Fear, embarrassment, pain, and shame. Twenty-one. But all these things they will do to you. For my name's sake. When they hurt you. When they give you a crazy look at work. Oh, you're one of the Christians. And they give you the big eyebrow. When they see you praying. When they see your dedication to the Lord. When they see your faithfulness. When they question your sanity. When they say, what are you doing? You're not acting like the rest of the world. Rejoice. Because they're doing that not just because of you. They're doing that for Christ's namesake. 
all the things that happen to us as believers should convey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fact is Jesus Christ was rejected by the world. The world rejected Jesus. And when we're faithful to Christ, we too will face rejection from time to time as well. Now I can't tell you, clear as day, I can't say you will be rejected. You will face persecution. I can't say that. The fact is there are people who live who don't face the same persecution as others. I often tell the story about me going to Iraq or even Egypt. In those places, the people who I associated with have experienced suffering. Some of them are now dead this day. We in America may never face that in our lifetime. It may happen a generation from now. But it may not happen at all. We don't know if America is exempt from that. But persecution comes in different forms. Persecution comes in different ways. And it may come in a way that you don't expect it. But regardless, if you do face it, understand being faithful through it, loving through it, is what God is asking for us all to do. It's a tough message. But it's a good one. The last point. Why is all this happening? Why are the disciples going to be persecuted? Why was Jesus put up on the cross? Why do we as Christians, why do we experience suffering? Because, which is an explanation of what comes next, they do not know him who sent me. The reason why we face what we face is because the people who are harming us don't know him. The reason why we experience what we experience as believers is because the people who are attacking us don't know the Father. That is the seminal truth of this life. Knowledge of the Father is what this whole thing is about. And the only way to know the Father is to know the Son. But when you know the Father, then you know the Son. And then you're His child. The reason why the church faces the calamities it has, the opposition it has, because the world doesn't know the Father. You may say, well, how, how do we get the world to know the Father? We give them Jesus what Thomas said to Jesus? Thomas was like, Lord, show us the Father, basically, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus was like offended. He was like, what? Thomas, how long have I been with you? And you say you want to see the Father? <laughs> Jesus is the exact image of the Father. Every action, every thought, every deed that Jesus did was designed to reveal the Father. If you look at Jesus' life, it shows you what the Father would do in that exact same scenario. Jesus shows you how the Father will respond to sickness, hurt, abuse, discord, disagreement, death. Jesus reveals the Father exactly. But how the world treated Jesus shows you how the world would treat the Father as well. And how the world treats you shows everyone how the world would treat Jesus if you remain faithful. I've had a couple points that were done for the day. First point, followers of Christ will be persecuted. Now, when I put 
this sermon together, I said, man, this is tough. This doesn't sound good. Let me try to find a better word. There's not a better word. This is real. The word persecuted really means to be hunted down with ill intentions. It's almost like, it's like you're actually like the predator. I mean, it's like the predator, to be honest. That's what it's like. It's the predator hunting its prey. And I mean the literal predator, like the first move. I don't like the rest of them. The first predator, I'm sorry. I throw it out there. It's like the first predator. That dude's hunting you down with ill intent. That's what persecution is. There will be people who have no good thing they want to do to you. And they literally, strategically hunt you down. Because they don't know the Father. We should expect that. As I said before in the first analogy, training camp was coming. And I knew I had to run the two mile in under 12 minutes. And I was, I couldn't cry. I knew it was going to be hot. I knew I was going to sunburn that Florida sun. I knew I had to put the helmets on. I was going to hit and practice. And after practice, run some more. I'm going to give a brief, a brief testimony and a, a bit of a confession. This, uh, week I went to a place called Fly Fitness and I hadn't really worked out in a long time so I've been trying to do the bike but I hadn't ran in a while so I got on the treadmill because it's a place where it's just a treadmill I mean all you're going to do is run I haven't if you ask my wife after it was over she said how did you run that's that's how bad it was supposed to be I said the Lord help me but I got on the treadmill and I ran. Now there were women in there who are in shape, who are running beside, and they were just killing me. I mean, they were, and I was embarrassed and ashamed. It was the pain and all that stuff. It was happening all at once. But I was running, right? I was running, 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 and I was hurting so bad. I almost died. I'm be honest. I'm gonna say I had to stop. I'm just be. I'm, hey, this is real. I had to say I gotta stop. I cannot breathe. Now, in the past, I knew I can catch my breath. But there was nothing there. I was, it was empty. I was on E, and, it, and I was only halfway done. So I had to, I had to pull, pull off, and I'm so embarrassed. Those ladies were there, like seven ladies and me. And all of them in shape. One's a professional soccer player. I could just go on and on. I was just embarrassed. They were just kick, 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 kick. So I got up there, and I'm laying down there. I'm like, you are just pitiful. <laughs> this is what I'm saying to myself. You're just pitiful. You're out of shape. You're embarrassing yourself. But you need to keep doing. So I got back up again and tried it again, and I almost fell off. My brain wasn't working. I couldn't even write letters down. I was all disoriented. I was like, this is tough. So after the workout was over, I go home, and I'm just trying to rest. But then, you know, we got to help out with family and stuff. And I'm good. But I'm just, I go to sleep. I pass out. The next day I wake up, and the, what's it called, Greg? Lactic acid? Oh, the lactic acid is all in my body. And let me tell you, I'm walking, like, even right now, if you see me walking funny, it's because lactic acid is right, it won't go anywhere. But it was worse yesterday morning. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I need, and my, and my wife, she tells me to what? Stretch. I'm like, I don't want to stretch. Come on. I'm a former athlete. <laughs> so uh, I'm not letting my heart hit it. Nevertheless, I got to get this lactic acid out. 
But I remember when I was in shape that the next time I would work out, if I, fight, if I was able to fight through that working out, the, the pain, the lactic acid would then come out of my body. I'd feel good. So I went to a spin class after, the next day. So I'm on every spin. I'm like, oh, so I'm trying to be tough, right? Because now the class is older people and me. <laughs> so, so, so I'm on the bike. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm dead tired like the first 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to die. But I kept pushing. I kept pushing. And I almost died, but I didn't die. The guy told me, you, are you okay, sir? I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm going fine. <laughs> But nevertheless, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, and finally, my legs felt looser. I was like, oh. But I had to engage again in order to get to a place of comfort. And I think when we hear words like persecution, it's kind of like having that lactic acid. You get scared. And your, your mind, your brain, all like it shuts off. You're like, I'm not going to stretch. I'm not going to address this. But you have to address it. Oftentimes when we read scriptures about turning the other cheek, everybody knows that scripture, I'm almost done. We turn the other cheek, but we talk about, well, what do we do about bullies with our kids? We teach our kids, well, when a bully comes, you defend yourself. And I'm like, okay, I got you, I hear you. I, I, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just trying to say that's the advice parents give. But the one thing I say is, when is it that you tell your kids they need to stand for Jesus no matter what? When does that conversation happen? When does the conversation come and say, you know what? There may be a time where you have to give your life over to Jesus Christ. Does that conversation ever happen? Most times people are like, no, I'm not going to tell them. I can't run, boy. You live another day. Fight another day, right? That's real. But when is it that we have this real conversation that we say in our minds, you know what? I'm going to commit to this regardless of what happens. I'm going to take the hard road and trust God for the outcome. Followers of Christ will be persecuted. You can act in your mind like it is not going to happen. But what happens when it does? Are you prepared for your response? The next point. Have proper expectations as to the consequence of your walk with Jesus Christ. I tell people, go to your book and your Bible. Turn to John chapter 666. And everybody know what John 666 is, right? They know the disciples no longer walk with Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying. What he was saying was too hard. And they left. Many left him, the scripture says. But then, John 667 and 668, Peter's still there and he said, Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, no. Where else am I going to go? Only you have the answer to eternal life. If you reject what Jesus is saying here, where are you going to go? You can engage in cognitive dissonance and say, you know what, this isn't going to happen to me, or I'm just not going to think about it, and I'll be okay, I'll feel better about my faith. But this is explicit, and this theme happens throughout the scriptures. From the prophets, all those people who faced persecution were the ones who were obedient to God until the end. Prepare to be persecuted. Prepare to be hunted. But you will prevail. You'll win. Stay faithful until the end. What am I trying to say? Don't give up on Christ when the predator is behind you. 
Don't give up on Christ when you feel like you're being treated negatively because of your faith. Don't give up on Christ when you feel like everybody's against you because of Jesus' namesake. You will be treated as Jesus was treated. I couldn't fix it, guys. I, I, I tried to make it sound good. I thought, oh, what will make this sound good? There's, I, I got... The, the message turned into something else. So I said, let me just say it how it is. You'll be treated as Jesus was treated. And that is a good thing. The issue is your thought process regarding what God is saying. Remember, you get rewards for this. This is how you get rewards. Rewards are important. Rewards are what this is about. God is trying to raise up people who will be faithful regardless of the consequences. And people throughout history have turned from God because of consequences. If you remember the first persecution under Nero, a lot of Christians turned away from, from Christ in order to not face persecution. And then after the persecution ended, they tried to come back to their faith. And they had a term for these people they were called the lapsed. And they had to, the church had to figure, what do we do with these people? Do we even let them come back in the church? Because Jesus was clear, if you deny me in front of men, he'll deny you in front of who? Father. You're in this until the end. Just prepare. Said training camp was hard. A lot of people got out of the NFL because they hated training camp, to be honest. But let me say this. Before I went to training camp, I would always try to run harder, push my body further. I've run up the mountains of West Virginia. Because I knew if I could run up these mountains, then the flat lands of Florida would be nothing. What I'm trying to say is prepare yourself. Push yourself. Fall in love with Jesus. Spend time with him. Pray. Serve other people. Commit yourself to him. Store your treasures up in heaven because where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. thank you Lord for being here with us today I knew this would be a difficult message Lord but I preached what I felt like you told me to say that persecution is part of the process Lord it's nothing we run from or need to be ashamed about or embarrassed about Lord Lord you asked us to be courageous to be bold so we ask you now Lord God for grace grace to adhere to your word grace to be faithful, grace to push past the storms of life and give you honor and glory. Lord, we do see difficult times ahead, not just for us here in America, but for the church in large. We ask you to protect the church, protect our children, protect this body, and help us, Lord God, by your grace, stay faithful to you regardless of the outcome. Help us not be ashamed of being persecuted for your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, just head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.